This is the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. We're at yet another crossroads in Venezuela as the dictatorship of Nicolas Maduro negotiates with Washington regarding conditions for elections in 2024. Can we expect any fundamental change for the country's politics and economy? I mean, definitely everyone is evaluating what happened in the last three or four years. And the strategies that the U.S., the opposition, and even the government have implemented have not worked. The government wasn't able to, let's say, you know, quote unquote, destroy the opposition as they would have hoped. The opposition strategies didn't lead them to power. The blockage and then the sanctions didn't help. a particularly crucial few weeks now for Venezuela, a period that will have huge ramifications for the country's economy, as well as any efforts to loosen the grip of Nicolas Maduro's dictatorship. First, on October 22nd, the opposition is due to hold a primary election to choose a unity candidate who would then, at least in theory, face Maduro in a general election sometime in 2024. But as so often happens in Venezuela, it's not as simple as it would initially seem. The clear frontrunner to win that primary is Maria Corina Machado, but she has been banned from running by the Maduro regime, in part because she was getting too popular. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is trying to pressure Maduro to let Machado run and make other concessions so that next year's election can be as free and fair as possible, in return, it seems, for relief on U.S. sanctions. As we record this, some type of announcement is expected in the next few days on that sanctions subject. But the challenge with Venezuela is always looking past people's stated intentions and hopes and trying to figure out what all of this actually means. So today on the AQ podcast, we'll try to clarify several questions, including what can we really expect first from this opposition primary? And then looking ahead, is there any chance the opposition might actually be allowed to be competitive or even win in that general election set for next year. What are conditions really like today for ordinary Venezuelans? And what, if any, hope exists that conditions might improve for the economy and country at large in the months ahead? Joining us to explore all this is a repeat guest, Ana Vanessa Herrero, the Washington Post's correspondent on the ground in Caracas. Ana, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Ana, the first part of this puzzle is the Venezuelan opposition is set to hold this primary vote on October 22nd to choose a candidate to run against Maduro in elections that could potentially take place in 2024. What's the latest thinking on whether these primaries will take place at all, what the conditions would be? So far, it is definitely going to happen. Yet, it's not really well organized. People really don't know where to vote. Just this last couple of days, even candidates were asking where to vote. But hopes are high on, you know, the outcome. Because after the opposition voting decides who's going to represent them next year, well, then 
you know, all the cards are going to be on the table for negotiations, for, you know, talk about sanctions. I think it's going to be a little bit more clear what's going to happen or how the government is going to act, you know, in the future once we know who's going to run. Well, but it's a strange primary for many reasons, as you noted, but one of them is that the candidate whom everyone thought of as the front runner just a couple months ago, Maria Corina Machado, has been disqualified by Venezuelan authorities on obviously spurious reasons. I mean, she was too strong, getting too popular. And so they disqualified her from the race. What's her status at this point? Is she likely to be the candidate who comes out of this primary vote? It's very likely. The numbers are, you know, speaking speaking by themselves. Enrique Capriles, who is two-time presidential candidate, once against Chavez, the other one against Maduro, he just recently resigned. But without him, she's like 50% ahead of in all polls that I've been reading. But now here's the big question. She's banned from running. So what what is going to happen? Well, and as you know, as we record this, we're imminently expecting some news on this U.S. attempt to broker a freer and fairer (laughs) election in return for some sanctions relief. But I want to come back to that and just ask you kind of a big picture question now that we've set the table, we've talked about these primaries happening, we've talked about the candidate who's likely to emerge Here's the question. What does the Venezuelan opposition currently hope for from this election? What we need to understand, first of all, is that the Venezuelan opposition is very broken. It's divided heavily. So there is no, there's no right answer there. Depending on who you talk to and the group you talk to and the moment you talk to them, the answer is going to be different. Maybe it would make things simpler if we talked about the people in Maria Corina Machado's group. What is their hope at this point? Is the goal free and fair elections or is it something else? She's definitely hoping to win, but she doesn't say how she's going to win because the truth is that she's still banned. Well, not only is she banned, I mean, many analysts, maybe most analysts, believe that there's just no circumstance under which the Maduro government is going to let her win or anybody else win. I mean, this is the weird thing about this whole story right now is that the Maduro government is dealing, seems to me at least, to be dealing from a position of relative strength. Definitely. I mean, Maduro's government have this amazing way of holding to power, even under the worst circumstances. We saw this under COVID. We, we saw this after Juan Guaido declared himself as interim president. And 50 countries supporting this decision, and that didn't make it. it definitely, there's the upper hand is on Maduro's government right now. But still, what Maria Corina's side or, or that part of the opposition is hoping is that the pressure would be so strong, popular pressure, if she's elected, that's a clear message to the world saying this is the person we need 
next year to represent us. And that is the, the hope, at least on that side of the opposition, that popular pressure would be so strong without getting to the streets, without getting to protests again, without having the scenarios that we had in 2014 or 17, that that would, you know, make things happen. But I, I see a different story, and I, I know many analysts do too, which is that really what this is, is the Maduro government doing what Chavismo has done for more than 20 years, which is by time, by pretending to be just reasonable enough at critical junctures. So in this case, clearly the Maduro government wants sanctions relief from the United States. They wouldn't mind having a slightly better public image in places like the United States and Europe. And so they're, you know, giving these little concessions and talks with the Americans and so on, but they have no actual intent of letting go of power, whether next year or anytime soon. I mean, there's a lot at stake, definitely, for the government. So being able to give all that power that they've been holding onto for so many years means that their door is open for so many people who want to, you know, persecute them, charge them with, you know, several different crimes they're being accused of. It is definitely not an easy way of seeing this unfold. I mean, I don't really think that the government is definitely ready to let go, but there's definitely maybe inside of the Chavismo too, some doors that could be knocked in order to talk about a transition. So we can't understand the future of Venezuela, whatever it is, without transitioning into something new. Because either the Maduro uh, Maduro and the government and, 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 and Maria Corina or whoever, or even, even like another candidate, a new candidate representing the opposition, both models are just not working anymore. And we've seen that many times. So the only way that we can understand the future is transitioning. And, and we've seen that. I mean, we've seen close encounters between the opposition and the government. We've seen the government opening the door to a negotiation or to a dialogue that it's genuine and, 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 and real, but definitely some things that let you to understand that even the government understands that this way it's not working for them anymore. It still seems like kind of hollow theater to me, but I could also understand if the opposition's view at this point was, you know what, let's participate in this process because it will get us connected again to at least some percentage of the Venezuelan people in a way that we haven't been for many years because we haven't been participating in these elections. And, you know, there seems to be an element of let's just see what happens as well, right? I mean, if, if you start this process it does become somewhat unpredictable. Maybe Maria Corina or whoever comes out of this primary comes out with some momentum and some popularity, and we all end up being surprised by events that happen in 2024. I mean, it's not, it's not crazy to think that something like that could happen. If we evaluate things that happened, you know, what happened before in, in 2012 with the elections against Chavez, you know, understanding that the circumstances were very different from now. I, I remember that when Capriles was starting the race 
in the primary elections that year, not many people thought that that could be possible. And then after events unfolded and, you know, candidates were just resigning in favor of Capriles, he ended up having so much support and almost winning the first elections. I mean, that was the first time since 1999 that the opposition had a real chance of winning somewhat fair elections. You know, no one saw it coming. I'm not saying that this that is something that could happen right now, because as I was saying, things are, you know, circumstances are so different. First of all, over 7 million people fled. So it's not the, the same amount of people who are voting right now that the ones who were voting uh, back then. And the other thing that's very important is that people are, don't really care about politics anymore. Now it's, we need to survive. The ones left, you know, who, who, are, who are here and stayed here, they need to survive somehow. So politics are the last things on their mind. If you have security and if you have access to some, you know, goods, then most people are going to feel like this is what I need to, to go on. Your broader point about recent history is well taken. I want to just ask you, you've already talked about this a little bit, conditions on the ground. There was talk last year about a limited renaissance of the Venezuelan economy in places like Caracas. My understanding is that mm, things are heading in the wrong direction again. The speech about Venezuela getting better, it's a little, a little shallow. I mean, definitely the economy was heading out of recession a couple of years before. It started moving again. You could see things being built and people being able to buy new things. And that made, obviously, the economy move a little bit faster than before. And that is true. Yet, we're not, you know, when, when people say, oh, Venezuela is getting better, they're not taking into consideration, for example, the fact that, you know, poverty rates are still the same. That hasn't changed. Maybe a little bit, but not enough to make a real difference. So if we're going to only talk about the economy, definitely that is that is right. It was getting better. Now this year, it's a little bit different. Venezuelans' purchasing power is not the same as last year. It was getting better for some, for sure, but not for the majority, as usual. We'll be back in a moment to look at how Washington's Venezuela strategy is likely to unfold. The America's Quarterly Podcast is sponsored in part by Florida International University's Jack D. Gordon Institute. Since 1985, the Institute has been at the forefront of innovation in cybersecurity, national security, and public policy. You can dive into their vast library of Latin American security-focused research, explore their academic and professional programs, or tap into their open-source data initiatives. Learn more at go.fiu.edu slash impact. All right, so let's talk about the U.S. part of this, the Washington part. The Biden administration has consistently been trying to use the sanctions as leverage to try to get a free and fair election in Venezuela in 2024. As we record this, we're expecting some kind of imminent announcement. We don't know the exact terms yet. Where do things stand right now? Well, that's very, that's very hard to say. 
we expect that some news are going to happen before the primary elections. Depending on, on those news, that would be very harmful for the opposition. The talk of, around the elections, you know, revolves around if Maria Corina is going to be able to run or not. If the U.S. grants some concessions before the primary elections, then the issue about Maria Corina is just very well off the table. We are just speculating here. I, I find it hard to believe that Washington would leave Maria Corina high and dry in this process, given that she's the front runner here. But let's see. I, I want to talk about one other aspect of this U.S. negotiation. The timing was interesting. Last week, as we record this, the Biden administration announced that it would resume deporting migrants to Venezuela. This had not been done for some time because Venezuela was not accepting flights. Is your interpretation and the interpretation of people you speak to there on the ground in Venezuela that this agreement by the Venezuelans to take deportation flights back is part of this bigger negotiation with the Americans? People I've talked to about this very on background, their understanding is that the U.S. is headed to, let's say, real problems right now as 2024 approaches. And Venezuela is not going to be one of those big issues anymore. And they need to just get that off the table. They're trying to get rid of as many aspects as, of the Venezuela uh, talks and of the Venezuela issue as they can. We can be like a central part of the conversation. We need to be aside and maybe look and maybe help a little bit, but we can't be in the middle again. And that's why things are moving so fast. Some people I've talked to are expecting the embassy to come back and to open it, you know, its doors as soon as next year. And you know what? What does that tell us if 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 it, this happens before the general elections, the presidential elections in 2024, that whatever the outcome is, we can expect normalization of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Venezuela, whatever happens in the presidential elections? Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, I, I have heard similar speculation that what Washington is really looking for here is something akin to a normalization of relations with Caracas, a view that if you take a deep breath and you think about it, the sanctions posture, the strategy of isolating Venezuela as much as possible has not worked in terms of producing a leadership transition. It has only contributed to the exodus of people and the humanitarian problem there on the ground. Whatever disincentive there was in the U.S.'s domestic politics to act on this is taken away, perhaps because the Biden people don't think they can win Florida anyway. And that's that's a consideration here. And so your best strategy, even though it might produce noise in the short term, is kind of a reset to take things back to a relationship similar to those that the U.S. has with other countries. And that is a posture that will probably dismay many advocates of democracy who believe that pressure and sanctions could eventually lead to change. But I, I understand that argument. Everyone is evaluating what happened in the last three or four years. And the strategies that, you know, the U.S., the opposition, and even the government 
have implemented have not worked. The government wasn't able to, let's say, you know, quote unquote, destroy the opposition as they would have hoped. The opposition strategies didn't lead them to power. You know, the the blockage and then the sanctions didn't help either. So now everyone is sitting down and just being honest about what to do. That's what I was saying, that the transition, whatever that means in the future, but a transition, you know, nonetheless, it's the only way to really make things move and work in Venezuela. Even if that means that Maduro is going to win again or that Maria Corina is going to be able to run or that, you know, whatever that means. The transition is the only way. And I think all the actors and on the, you know, sitting on the table know that, that that is the only way. The outcome of the talks have been real. Sanctions have been lifted. They have, you know, there have been um, different concessions from the government. The opposition is moving a little bit different from before. And, you know, so... This is this is the first time that this has happened for so long. And that is something to consider. Well, and like we said earlier, once things start moving like this, it can be unpredictable. And so we will we will see what happens and continue to check in with you. Anna, thanks so much for joining us on the AQ podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly Podcast is produced by Luisa Franco and edited in partnership with Human Group Media.